When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Jill Officer, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Let's hop right into things here, Jill. Uh, What drew you to curling more than any other sport? Because you were involved in a lot of different sports when you were younger, like your dad being a hockey coach, your mom a sports enthusiast, Obviously, they were putting you into like soccer, figure skating, uh, baton twirling. So what made curling stand out for you? You know, that's a really good question that I've been asked a number of times. And I'm not sure that I have a great answer for it. As you mentioned, my dad was a hockey coach, very involved in, in hockey And my mom uh, was a coordinator of a junior curling league. So I was always hanging around the hockey rink or the curling rink. But for whatever reason, I didn't end up on hockey skates. I ended up on figure skates and I got all my badges there. And I, like you said, I did baton. I played soccer. My parents just put me in a whole bunch of different things, which I am a real believer of and, you know, loved that I got to experience all those different things. But for whatever reason, I just had maybe a little more natural ability for for curling or something. And I think with the curling too is like when I was younger, my mom put me into like bond spiels with my friends. And so I got to hang out with my friends outside of school. And then even as I got into like, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, I was playing in like mixed bond spiels on the weekend and I got to hang out with my friends. So it was just, I think, a combination of a little bit of natural ability and just that I had friends who also curled and it kind of went from there. I understand that because listen, if someone said, Brian, you would love bowling when I was six or seven. I'd be saying, you're a liar. They tell me it's cool. I'd be like, now I know you're lying. Um, because I remember back when I was a little bit younger, I was actually in basketball. I wasn't into hockey so much. I think I just started hockey. And we were in a basketball tournament. And I wasn't getting a lot of playing time. To be honest with you, I was probably getting like five minutes. But in bowling, we were having this like winter festival And we actually got to bowl with the Paralympics. And it was like a cross path. Uh, I believe it was like same time as our game. And I think it was like basketball semifinals or we were hosting a tournament in our own gym. And I remember telling our coach, listen, I've got a chance here at bowling to bowl with some of the Paralympic bowlers. So I'm going to go to that. And I remember one guy on our team Uh, In particular, a lot of them were kind of like, what are you doing? Like, we're in a basketball tournament. We got a chance at a gold medal, and you want us to go out and play bowling. And I was like, listen, Steven, you're getting 20-plus points in this game. I am warming the bench for you, basically, when you come off. So I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm going there. Uh, I still, like, participated in the basketball games after, but bowling just felt more up my Exactly. Alley. And it's kind of what your personal experience and passion is. And if you, you know, I, I especially realized when I retired from curling, 
how much of my community, my personal community, and how much of our community curling is. So it would be the same for you with bowling is that you probably developed a community and that was your connection to a community of people. And so that's where you're gonna go is where you feel like you contribute, right? And that's how yeah. I felt. It was like, I felt like I contributed and I felt like I had a connection to it. So I stayed there for a while. <laughs> yeah, imagine if you went into like the police academy, that would be confusing, right? Hello, officer, officer. People still confuse, like people still confuse my last name with me being in some type of law enforcement. <laughs> I mean, it could work in your favor in some cases. Now, I know in this hour uh, or close to this hour, as much time as we got, uh, we're going to talk about your career and other interests. But I got to ask you, uh, you know, being from Manitoba, uh, do you know a Jennifer Jones? <laughs> I kind of know her. Yeah, like, you know, vaguely. Uh, we went to like a curling party years ago, and I've never heard of her or seen of her since. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I believe you've been friends or so since the age of 15. Like, I know people that long, but we're not even that close or have the success that you have. But that being said, have there ever been moments where you kind of had to either butt heads or like have a sitting out and be like, actually, I think we should do this shot. No, I think we should go this way. And then you're like, oh, okay, well... You know, we both have our own input here. Of course. I mean, you know, that's part of being a team. And it wasn't just always between me and Jennifer, right? Yeah. I spent a lot of time together with your teammates. And with curling being such a small group of people, it you can't necessarily get away. And, <laughs> you know, it's not like a hockey team traveling together where it's like, oh, I don't want to hang out with those two people anymore. I'm going to go hang out with the – I need a break from them. I'm going to go hang out with them. It's like – we got four people that are together all the time, right? So, yeah, and then we be, you know, you become like siblings. So, of course, you kind of butt heads here and there, but I also really believe that the differences that Jennifer and I had and the different sort of views and ends of the spectrum because in a lot of ways we're in a lot of ways we're similar and in a lot of ways we're quite opposite, but I really feel like that was a contribution to the success that we ended up having was that we had those differing views and perspectives that opened each other's eyes to another way of looking at things, whether it was a shot or whether it was about how we should plan our season or anything, right? So I, I think that that was a big part of our success was because of that. And listen, you've been very successful, like the Olympics in 2014, six Scotties, two Worlds, I believe from 2005 to 2018, obviously, you know, we're going to cross off the Olympic year. Uh, you only missed getting a gold, silver, or bronze in the Scotties once. Like I said, we're knocking off the Olympic year. Uh, you go undefeated at the Olympics, undefeated at the 2018 Worlds. And some people would say, well, duh, you should. You're pro athletes. But, like, listen, as someone like, like a keyboard warrior would do, they talk a lot, but then when it comes to doing it, then they realize how hard it is. It's not easy. And to those who think it is, go out and try it. I mean, even Brad Gushu, keep a Newfoundland reference here, and Kerry Enerson, both successful on their own teams, they struggled in the doubles. But like they were down at 0-3 at one point, but they fought back to make the tournament interesting. But like even though they had individual success – it doesn't always translate into 
I guess, double success or group success, like in their own groups, maybe. But when you're trying to combine people, you don't know how that's going to turn out. So obviously, like when you look back at that, uh, you got to think like, wow, we went undefeated twice at one point. Like that's got to be kind of cool. You know, I, I remember going into the Olympics particularly, and I think we played three out of three of the top teams in our first four games. Yeah. So we we were just looking to like go two and one in our first three games because of who we were playing at the Olympics. I remember thinking that. And and so for us to come out of there at three and at three and oh in that beginning of the week was a, was a really big deal. But I think going back, it was like we didn't we when we had early success, even like winning the Scotties in like 2005. And we always found we always went through the hard way. Like we never we never found an easy way to win those Scotties. So it actually took us a long time to yeah. learn how to put ourselves in a better position at the end of the week that we weren't scrounging and grinding just to get to the end of the week. We were actually putting ourselves in a position maybe by midweek to, you know, be there at the end of the week. So it actually took us a long time to sort of figure out how to do that. And I think going undefeated at the Olympics and then undefeated in the Worlds, I think that was a, just a little bit of a culmination of, of that experience to be yeah. able to do that. And I, you know, I'm really proud of, of that. But you certainly never go into either one of those events saying, let's go undefeated. Like, yeah. I mean, you're playing against the best teams in the world. Like, you know, when you think about playing Anna Hasselberg or Eve Muirhead in those in those events and it's just like they very easily can lose to and, and you know what and, uh, and we've talked about this before or people have talked about this before a lot of the nations get up to play against Canada and so we're yeah. often playing the teams at their best and so you know Latvia comes along and they want to beat Canada because it'll look good on their resume for the week and you know they so they beat Canada and so like to go through those events undefeated is, is, you know, like I said, something to be very proud of. But you certainly don't go into those events uh, trying to do that because it's really hard. Yeah. I, I like what you said there, you know, get up for Canada, because it reminds me of like the 2002 Olympics when a reporter asked uh, Wayne Gretzky something along the lines of like, you know, they're after losing, I think, to Sweden and I don't know how many games if they were how many games they lost or if that was their first loss, but people thought they were going to go undefeated. And the reporter asked uh, Gretzky, you know, like something along the lines of like, "Are you mad or are you upset or, or are you hot?" I think. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm hot." I was about to say, "Damn right, I'm hot," but I think he just said like, "Yeah, I'm hot," because you know they were supposed to come in and basically be the best team in the world, and here they were struggling in this tournament. Uh, but I think to go off your point. It's good to find that adversity early, whether it be in a season, in your career, uh, because then you can kind of build off it. Like, you know, you face the struggles early. Um, you know, when you were saying that you won in 2005 here in Newfoundland and never – if you never faced it, like you kind of went undefeated. But if you never faced it before that, uh, like then what do you do when you get success? Like if everything was just up, 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 up and you never faced a down – when you faced a down later on in your career, you'd kind of be like, all right, why, yeah. why do we yeah. do Yeah, here? for sure. And, and it's like, you know, like you referenced hockey and it's the same thing. Like teams get up to play against Canada. And if you're not prepared as the team Canada going into that event, whether it's hockey or whether it's curling, if you're not prepared to have those teams 
come and play that well against you or you're not aware that that's what's going to happen or not prepared for it, then it's going to backfire on you. And and that's what I kind of thought happened. And maybe it was the 2002 games with the hockey team or maybe it was the 06 games where they showed up three days before the game started expecting to, you know, expecting because they were Team Canada to do really well and they didn't. And so it's just like you you can't sort of take it for granted because when you put that, you know, that Team Canada in those positions of the Olympics or World Championships in hockey or curling, there needs to be an awareness that you need to be prepared for that. I want to ask you now that you're in the broadcast side of things, you have a degree in communications from Red River. So like this was obviously something you were interested in, but, you know, being a former player, are there times like you're looking at a certain person's shot or how the game is presented and you're thinking like, you know, that's not how I would take that shot or giving your own kind of insight. Like this is how I would take this shot um, because it's, you know, you're getting a former player's analysis here. Yeah. You know, like I me, mean, I watch curling on TV all the time, but I definitely think that when you're sitting in the booth, you, you're taking a different approach. You're taking a yeah. different perspective on it because you're trying to give the viewers a perspective as if you were out there almost. And so I do find that I pay a little bit more attention to the games and certain things that teams are doing or not doing than if I'm just watching as a viewer. And so, yeah, I I would maybe like tend to notice things that, you know, maybe I wouldn't notice if I was just a viewer uh, or not just a viewer, but if I was just watching, if I was watching fan. And then when you're bantering back and forth with the people in the booth too, then you know, there's different conversation going on that maybe you wouldn't have if you were just watching as a fan. So it's a little bit different perspective and it's not, uh, you know, it, it's taken some time to adjust to it. Like as much as you think, oh, great, I get to sit in a booth and talk curling. Oh, suddenly you're part, of, you're part of a different kind of team that has its own dynamics and trying not to speak over one another, trying not to just repeat what someone else has said trying to pay attention to different aspects of what's going on in the ice so that you can analyze it and speak about it. So it's not, it's, you know, there's a bit of a transition period there trying to, and, you know, like I haven't perfected it by any means, you know, I enjoy it, but it's got its own challenges. Yeah. Like I know for myself, like I really thought once I graduated from sports journalism, communications, did radio broadcasting, I would be in broadcasting doing play-by-play or hosting. Like, I I love that. Like, I have the background, but uh, networks tend to hire, like, ex-players, uh, I guess for, like, the name value. But I still think you can get the best of both worlds if you hire a combo. Like, a person knowing the sport, being in situations, you know, play the sport, yes, because then you can kind of analyze the player's mindset. But then someone who knows how to present it on TV, like – you know, kind of like the history a little bit of the sport or the background, because obviously they're interested in it. So they've studied it or looked up the whole history of it. Cause I guess as a player, you wouldn't know like, Oh, well, this is what happened back in 2015 or this is a similar shot to this person has faced. Cause you probably were too busy focused on playing the game. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's definitely something that I've thought about or noticed is just because I do have a journalism background and I did yeah. work on TV for a period of time. I, I think that sometimes, you know, the, the play-by-play will always have all the correct data, right? Yeah. The color, they can kind of get away with stuff. 
right? They can kind of say things that maybe aren't 100% true, or they might pronounce the name, not the person's name, not quite correctly. And it's, and it doesn't seem like a big deal to them necessarily. But for me, it was like, it was, if you didn't have someone's name pronounced correctly or, or spelled correctly, it was automatic fail. Right. So, you know, there's just things like that, where I came in with that background knowledge that maybe wasn't as prominent for some people, not just in the booth, but like in general, you know? And so I think it's good to have that background as well. Otherwise it's probably a pretty steep learning curve. So like, when did you realize you had a passion or interest for broadcasting? Was it before, during, or like after your curling career? I guess it was always kind of there because I, I graduated my journalism program like 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So I worked in TV for a few years and then we won the Scotties in 2005 and it was just too hard to sort of juggle full time. So I did some freelance work on and off for a while. So I, I always kind of had that as a backup. Right. So when I knew that my my career was coming to an end and I was going to step away or at least take a break, you know, I made some connections with uh, people at networks and and stuff thinking that that was potentially something that I wanted to do. And then, you know, I started doing it. And while I do enjoy it and I, you know, I would love to continue to do it for a period of time. It's not necessarily something that I see myself doing for the next 15 years. Right. Which is why I actually have gone back to university. I'm taking kinesiology because I need to get a kinesiology degree in order to do uh, a master's in mental performance for sport. So that's oh. that's sort of where I'm headed. But in the meantime, I love doing the, the CBC work. It gives me a chance to watch curling with a really close eye and uh, to keep track of what's happening, what's changing in the game and you know, what's happening with sweeping and sweeping techniques and things like that. So I love being around the game. I love sitting in the booth and talking about curling. I just don't see myself doing it for the next 15 or 20 years, which is why I've made this other plan to do some mental performance. So I'd love to be able to continue to do some of the commentary, you know, in the next five years or so, and then see where it goes. So like, what can you do with that? Like, is there subdivisions of interest? I know I like have some friends at Mon, so Memorial University down here in Newfoundland, uh, that did, I believe, sort of what you were doing, maybe a little bit different. But I never really dived further into the conversation than just the surface. So if you don't mind, like what other areas or what exactly are you doing per se? There's certainly different aspects that you can focus on within, and I'm only going into my second year, so I haven't really narrowed yeah. my focus too much at this, this point. This is your rookie. This is like your sophomore year. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, you know, there's, there's, you could take the athletic therapy avenue where you would be an athletic therapist or, or, or go on to pursue physiotherapy. Uh, There's more of the physical education, like being a phys ed teacher sort of avenue. I'm just sort of looking to get my general kinesiology degree at this point, but I'm certainly maybe focusing some of my classes more on psychology, any sort of classes that might contribute to me being able to provide or become a mental performance consultant. I certainly know that I can't just do that with a kinesiology degree and that that's why my plan is to continue on to get uh, to do a master's program that's about 18 months long 
uh, to then be a mental performance consultant at that point. So that's like another way to stay in curling in another role, right? Like if Jennifer or any other team came to you and you met all the criteria to take on this role, uh, you'd be all in? A hundred percent. That's like, you know, after a lot of discussion with my own sports psychologist over the last few years, uh, the discussion sort of evolved to a point where I realized that I enjoy connecting with athletes and I enjoy helping athletes. I enjoy sharing my experience and lessons with other athletes for them to improve and get better. But I've always felt that the mental side of sport is yeah. so important and sometimes gets overlooked. It kind of depends on the teams or the athletes and that there's more to it than just the mental side of it on the ice. Like it, it's a, the mental side of life, basically. It's like the men, the holistic view. And so I just over time realized that I enjoy doing that. And I, I enjoy having those, you know, connected deep conversations with athletes and sharing my experience with the hopes that they will learn something from all of my experience. You also have a niece in curling. Has she ever come to you for advice or support? Because I mean, you have the experience and the success. So it kind of makes sense to, you know, call, call you up and be like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm actually blanking on her name right now. But like, has she ever called up, you know, Aunt Jill? For any advice? No, I, you know what? She's always, she's, uh, Kristen McCush plays with uh, Team Tracy Flurry, and she is such a great kid. Like, I, I mean, I call her a kid, but she's 28 now. And no, no, just, listen, I'm almost 30. So if you call that a kid, I, I'm okay with that. I'm kid. fine. Let's go with it. <laughs> uh, but she's such a, she's such a good kid, really well rounded. You know, I, I'm happy to do anything that I can to help her be the most successful athlete that she can be. And, and whatever team she's on, you know, which has been pretty consistent for the last number of years. So I did coach them for a period of time in that season. I just, I couldn't commit to anything long-term because I was sort of in this transition phase from being a competitive athlete to, I don't know what I want to do. And then of course the pandemic hit and that just changed a whole bunch of things. And it was a good opportunity for me to start back at school with so much of it being online. That just makes my life a little easier to do it that way. So you know, I, I said to her and her team, anytime you need help, you want to talk, you want to ask about something, I, I'm, I'm here for you, but I'm not, like, you have to understand that I may have those conversations with other teams. I yeah. may, you know. No, I, I get it. No favoritism. It's like a mafia style. It's like, you're my niece. I love you, but uh, if someone asks for my help, I'm going to help them too. I gotta look out for myself. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, wait, you're not you're not loyal to the family. It's like, listen, never said I was loyal to the family. I'll give you some help. I'll give you some help. <laughs> I know you make it make it sound so like I'm, uh, you know, oh, whatever to my niece. But but I mean, in all, in all honesty, like it's it's just that um, my long term goals didn't necessarily start to fit with me being able to uh to have any sort of full commitment to them at this at this time so i just said like i'll I'll happily come out and work with you on the ice like you want me to come hold the broom like whatever i can whatever i can help you with but you know like just understand that i'm also you know trying to do some consultation work with other teams through like next gen program or whatever so you know and that's fine she does still you know we talk about curling and yeah 
things like I that. Like th- I like that metaphor because I can just imagine if you just said, like, if, I don't know, just say if you had, like, when Sidney Crosby has a kid and, like, you've got Sidney Crosby in the room and, like, just say he's, like, 17 or 16 and, like, he's like, Dad, I want you to come out on the ice, but, like, you just stand there and you just give me passes. It's like you realize you have Sidney Crosby out on the ice and you're not going to ask him, like, hey, how can I improve my game or how is this, like, now nah, just you stand there, you feed me and my buddies pucks and we're just going to fire him into an open net. It's like... Yeah. Good job. Way to have Sydney. Yeah. No, my niece definitely. Uh, she doesn't expect that. Or like, you know, <laughs> they they uh, they appreciate my and value my input. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, of course, because now I'm in Newfoundland. We mentioned this earlier about 2005 winning gold in 2005 down here. Uh, now other places obviously won too, but Newfoundland, I'm sure, because Brad Goose, you can attest to it too as well. I'm sure he's had a fair time in his hometown winning, but like screeched in, were you ever screeched in? What was your mindset of it? Because listen, between you and me and, and everyone that's listened to the Laura Walker interview, Laura Walker was like, I did not like screeching in, did not like it. I did it. And I was like, you know what? Fair. She's honest to us. She's not coming on here and saying, you know what? It was great. I do it again because someone's going to come to Newfoundland and say, I heard you on interview. You said you loved it. And then she's like, actually I didn't. Then you, then you're called a fraud. At least she's telling people, <laughs> I've done it. Listen, I love you, Newfies. Does anybody ever say that they love it? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like if you ask Brad, Brad's gonna be like, dude, I get screeched in all the time. I'd be like, no, you don't, Brad. We yeah. are Newfoundlanders. We don't have to. You choose you don't have to. to get screeched in. Yeah. You know what? I think I, I can think of two or three times actually that that we were sort of screeched in. Uh, you know, you come there for a curling event and they they sort of coordinate it and make it make it happen and and whatever. So I love the tradition of it. I there love the idea of it. I love, yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that I can say that I've been screeched in more than once in okay. in But you know the whole process of it, the screech, the cod. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of with Laura on that. Yeah, you know what? It is a bit much. I feel people like the screech part. The reciting the passage is probably fun because, like, you're looking at me like, what? What are you even saying here? But I think the cod kissing is a little bit fishy, a little bit fishy. I get it. Uh, I want to ask you a bit of a scenario style question here, or like a what if question. Uh, I know we chatted prior to this interview on the success you had in 2014 in Sochi and the Worlds. But like 2010, it was right here in Canada, Vancouver. You mentioned your team just it, you weren't hitting your stride. Um or you weren't getting in the groove, but say like 2014 hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's 2010. Like how bummed were you that you didn't get to rep Canada at home? Yeah. I remember feeling quite devastated. Actually, it was a tough one to swallow because it was our, it was our second time playing in the Olympic trials with it being in Vancouver. It was such a huge opportunity. And we, it was our, also our second time being a favorite. Well, the first trials in 2005, we had just won the Scotties. And then in the trials in 2009, we were two-time defending Scotties champs and we had won the Worlds in 2008. So we were favorites going in. And both of those Olympic trials, I don't even know if we had a sniff of the playoffs by midweek. Like, it just was not – it just didn't – happen wasn't meant to be or something I don't know so I remember after Vancouver particularly that I don't know it was just really tough to swallow I think because I just didn't know where we were at I didn't know where I was at in terms of how much longer I was going to continue to play 
like I, there was just a lot of question in my mind. So I just, I just didn't like it. So it was really hard to take at the time. And then ultimately we decided to make a team change. And I felt that, you know, I owed it to myself to continue to play at that time to see if things were different, if things were better or if things changed or whatever. And obviously we went on to, to win the Olympics in, in 2014. So it worked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting though, how history can be because Vancouver, you got Crosby's Olympic goal, Paul Martin wins it for the men's curling. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's like, you know, it's really interesting because now Cheryl Bernard came in. I think she had silver, but like her quote obviously gets a lot of recognition because I think Laura Walker actually mentioned it in hers is like one of her biggest inspirations was Cheryl Bernard. And she almost had a chance to work with Cheryl, but then the pandemic happened. So mm -hmm. thank you pandemic. But it's like her quote was almost like, I didn't lose gold. I won silver. And that's the way she took it. I'm like, you can spin that as a PR stunt is more or less saying like, listen, like, it's funny because like you don't want to go out there saying like crap i lost gold but got silver like her approach is more or less you're not granted silver you earned it and you won that silver like anyone out there listening to this right now in the future whenever might say like yeah okay cheryl uh but she has a point like you know you're, you're devastated in the moment but years later you're back uh, you, you look back and you say, look at what we walked away with here in the Olympics. We have an Olympic silver. I know I got like bowling trophies when I was 10. I was probably pissed. We were second best. But now I look back and I'm like, you know what? Like we were second best. And this plaque is nice to have years later. You know what? Like, the, the, you know, I think it uh, was, wasn't Cheryl's book called The Silver Lining or something, right? Yeah. And I actually read that book. But, you know, one of the medals that I'm most proud of for us is the silver medal we won at the World Championships in 2015. And part of the reason for that was that that was only a year after we won the Olympics. And it's really hard to play at a high level of anything after the Olympics. And you see a lot of athletes actually take time off, depending on the sport that they're in. In curling, we can't really get away with that, unfortunately. But you see someone like, you know, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer, they took like two years off after the Sochi Games before they came back, right? I know there was a couple of losers that did the same. There was, you know, and so in curling, unfortunately, it's just not an opportunity to, to do that. And that we're kind of right back into it. But we literally had six months of just, all this wonderful stuff like appearances doing this doing that people wanted us here and wanted us there and all this stuff and then we right back into curling season traveling on the tour etc cetera, etc cetera. like so sometimes i look back at that and think how did we even win the scotties that year and then go on to win the the or to uh go to the worlds and you know we didn't play superb in the gold medal game but we came on strong at the end and really put some pressure on switzerland and Alina Pats had to make a draw to the, to the button to win the world championships in the end, right? Like, but the fact that we did that a year after the Olympics, after like how busy we were and all this stuff, like to me, that's mind boggling. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I actually don't have, I don't know if I've ever had that conversation with my team, but yeah. I was just, you know, when I look at that now, I'm like, wow, like we were disappointed in the moment. But a year after the Olympics, after everything that happens when you are an Olympic champion, I was like, I, I actually not sure how we did that. <laughs>
Yeah, it's interesting you say that because like people make a big deal in hockey, basketball, football, whatever, when a team goes like back to back or comes back like to try to defend their title. Now, I'm not a big stats guy, but let's pretend I am. <laughs> I believe from like 2005 to 2018, uh, minus the Olympics, you medaled every year beside 2014 Sochi Olympics and 2017. You've got six gold, three silver, three bronze. Basically, you got hardware for over a decade. You could tell that to somebody and they would say, I'm not, I don't believe you. You're basically telling me from that point for this long stretch, I'm going to come home with a medal, whether it's gold, silver, or bronze. They're like, no, you're ridiculous. But you did. And I think that's crazy because I like, though, like, again, you have the Bergeron Taves in the background, but I expected a little bit more of like, this is my whole rack of gold, silver. These are all the trophies. And I'd be like, those are all like, in around the corner. Actually. <laughs> they're all, they're all in my closet. I'm a very humble person. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, to put up no, like that's, that's crazy to me because of course you make a big deal of it, but I'm not the only one to think that. Cause I believe TSN put you on a poll in 2019 or put out a poll, sorry, in 2019. And you were voted the greatest female Canadian second, say that three times fast, and sixth greatest in Canadian curly history. That's male and female. Airbud, the dog, was also included. Uh, he wasn't happy with his ranking. <laughs> but like those, those obviously looking at all those accomplishments, even with your Scotties, there's only three. Three that have six titles. Two are named Jones, Jennifer <laughs> yeah. and Colleen. And then we have yourself. I feel like you should add Jones to the end. Yeah, the officer and the Joneses. Yeah, there you go. I feel like that should be like, if you ever come up with a podcast, that's what you should do. Just have Jennifer on, Colleen, and be like, officer and the Joneses. And people are like, I feel like that's a movie. And they're like, no, you're thinking (laughs) officer and a gentleman. (laughs) Yeah, but no, I mean, that's that's crazy. I I actually thought of it too, because I want to ask you that, because from the media standpoint, like if you were still somewhat involved in media or wanted to get involved in media do you ever think about doing stuff like that like a podcast or do you think like whoa listen i've got my hands full <laughs> yeah i mean i think at this point i've got my hands full uh, i might i you know it, it crossed my mind a couple of years ago maybe um but I, I you know i don't i don't know it was just nothing i ever like was super serious about oh i had some ideas ready i had like on the rocks throwing stones where you talk smack on other curlers and they're like uh i thought we were friends i thought she was supposed to be nice it's like buddy the podcast is called throwing stones like come on yeah. what do you think was gonna happen? <laughs> but no i mean that's all i i just thought it was interesting because yeah you see a lot of people now getting into the podcast side of things and into the media but i don't know now i could be dead wrong on this but I know sometimes when I'm on Twitter, you'll see someone always tweet out about curling. Like, you know, this is what you expect. But I would be interested if you had like a former curler, uh, like yourself, Jennifer Jones, Carrie when she's done, Laura, whatever. But like to get more insight, like you don't actually have to talk about curling the whole time, but like your experiences. Like I know you have books for that as well, but we're in the mindset where people are not really sitting down and reading books. Like I would rather hear your story in your own voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's an option. And then, you know, there is a, a now a, a curling podcast out there with, with Kevin Martin that certainly covers a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff, but you know, and I've done a couple of other podcasts with uh, about coaching and curling and yeah. whatever else. 
Yeah, there's. I guess there's always room for more curling. <laughs> I meant to bring this up earlier in talking about, like, you know, the Olympics and silver, because you mentioned this uh, earlier about being proud of the silver. I remember back in 2006 watching Brad Gushu win in Torino, and I thought it was, like, super cool as a Newfoundlander and thinking, like, oh, yeah, he'll be back again. But, like, you forget that the team he had was relatively young, and now he's, like, fighting for, like, this other chance to go back but like it's a different perspective as he's older because like now he has kids he wants them there so they get the experience i guess to see him play and you know just appreciate it more i guess now that you're like a little bit older you've been there and then you're like during that time when you're younger you're probably like oh yeah we'll be back but then as years go on you haven't been back you're kind of like oh my god like if i ever get this chance again i'm really gonna soak it in well, yeah, and like like Brad said, they were fairly young when they went, yeah. uh, which most athletes are, but uh, like in in most sports. But in curling, you usually see you know uh, some of the older athletes. So I was what like that was what seven years ago. So I was like thirty eight, thirty nine years old, right? Like yeah, for them going at that age, and I mean, I guess for a lot of younger athletes, it would certainly be a bit of a different perspective, I think, than going because. Jennifer and I had already had uh, kids, like babies, like Isabella was one and my daughter was two when we went to the Olympics. So, you know, you have a little bit different perspective and we we were trying, 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 and we got there. Whereas those guys, it's like they got there and yeah. then now they've been trying, trying, trying. So, you know, it's uh, it's just different uh, experience and, and I'm sure they would have a different perspective on it if they got a chance to go back. It's interesting because, like, you learn some things on the fly here as well. Like, I remember when Carrie and Brad were in the mixed doubles and they were qualifying Canada, like, or they qualified Canada because they won and that gave Canada the right to then go to the Olympics for curling. And uh, myself and many others on Twitter, you can go look it back and track it and see. But we were wishing Carrie and Brad, like, oh, best of luck, like, congratulations. And then they had to come out and they basically said, listen, we qualified Canada. Like we're not representing Canada. We could, if we win a tournament that allows us to, but I think Carrie and Brad kind of want to do it their own way. Like Brad represent team Canada for men's Carrie for women, but you know, worst case scenario, they do go to mixed doubles, but like they still have to go through that whole process. And I was like, what? I was like, but you, you got us there. You should be representing Canada. <laughs> like, What's going on here? Yeah. Well, I mean, really, that's what happened last time in the 2018 games because, um, you know, Reed Crothers and Joanne Courtney qualified Canada for for the Olympics as a nation, but then did not – well, actually, I ended up playing with Reed in the uh, Olympic trials, but it was uh, Caitlin Laws and John Morris that ended up going on and winning the gold medal. But if it wasn't for Reed and Joanne qualifying the nation – yeah, Canada as a nation, they wouldn't have won the gold medal. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, but that that's how it works, and it's just that in Canada we have such depth that we end up playing off for those things. Whereas yeah. in most yeah. other countries, they, you know, maybe have a small playoff, but like they don't have the same depth, or yeah, they're yeah. just get appointed. Like, you know, like Team Hasselberg, they already know they're going to the Olympics. Team Tiranzoni from Switzerland, they already know they're going to the Olympics. Like, you know, yeah. so it's different in Canada because because of our depth. Yeah, and that's why people want to beat Canada. That's why they they get up for Canada. They're like, we know you have depth, so this is your best of the best, so we're going to show you that this is our best. Right. So, uh, I, I do think another thing that I want to mention that I thought was interesting there was, you know, 
now when you had the bubble of doing curling uh, like last year with the pandemic, I thought it was a, kind of a really eye-opening experience. Now, I know you weren't curling in it, but you mentioned curling being a small community, and I think it came down to Rachel Holman versus Kerry Enerson in like two different events. Each walked away with the finals win and championship. Uh, you have, you know, Laura and Liam, they're rooting for Rachel. But it's kind of interesting because it's like, yeah, we're in a bubble. And then Carrie wins one, Rachel wins one. It's like everyone walks away with something here. Um, but I thought it was really cool because I believe Carrie said in her interview that Laura had reached out saying, listen, if you need anything, um, you know, someone to talk to, someone to bounce things off or just like some kind of support. Like, I'm here for that. I'm here for you. And I think it's interesting because, again, she's on Rachel Holman's side, hoping that Rachel wins. But at the same point, she's reaching out to Carrie more or less saying, yeah, if you need help with anything. And it goes to show you that, yes, there's competitiveness in sports, but there's also this human element or community side, like you were saying, because at the end of the day, like you're a person with emotions and feelings. You're away from family, friends, like people don't know what's going on beside behind closed doors here. And I thought that was like a really cool um, thing because, you know, people don't want to be alone and to know that someone's out there saying, listen, you're not like I'm here for you. No, we're competitive. No, technically we're on enemy lines here, uh, but it's just a sport at the end of the day. We're people, but like, did you have these kind of feelings in the bubble of like separation? Yeah. You know, and I think, I think it kind of depended on the person as to how uh, well or not well they were able to manage the bubble situation. I was in the bubble for uh, world curling television. So I was on the broadcast side. So there was, there was sort of like uh, the athlete bubble. And then there was like the broadcast bubble. And the second time that I went, when I went to cover the women's world championships, there was a positive case that somehow got into our side of the bubble. So they had to shut us down for a period of time until they knew that it hadn't spread very far. Uh, So we were actually stuck in our hotel rooms for almost six days And I found that really difficult, actually, because I think one of my biggest concerns was, what if I test positive? Yeah. One, how will I end up feeling, et cetera. But two, not only that, then I'm stuck in Calgary for another two weeks, isolated in my hotel room, and I can't go home to my family, right? So uh, from a mental standpoint, you know, I can see how it was really tough for, for a lot of people and then some people probably managed it better than others. So I think it, 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 the bubble was fine for me as long as I could get out of my room. Yeah, yeah. So we were able to do laps around our hotel room and stuff. The hardest part was just that when we got stuck in our room for six days, that was then I was like, that was the really hard part. So yeah. um, it's it was nice. It's nice to see that uh, the athletes were supporting each other and you know, being able to, uh, you know, have that similar experience because not a lot of other people that would have had that bubble experience, right? So it was nice to see that they were supporting each other. Yeah, because I think it's like an interesting dynamic because you, you do have different people coming from different backgrounds in a bubble. Like some people have family that they're going to be able to Skype and communicate with, I believe in Laura's case. And it's like, there's no shade thrown here at uh, at her for this, but she was allowed to bring in Liam. And her husband, who's also a curler. And that's something um, that kind of keeps you content. I think she said they just watched a lot of Netflix. She did some reading. She kept up with some other work that she had to do as well. But, like, 
for those not with um, partners or families, I think it's nice that others could relate to that or reach out because honestly, sometimes like a FaceTime or call is all someone really needs to not feel like they are in a bubble, um, pun intended, but like both literally and figuratively alone in a bubble. I know I FaceTime with friends in Ottawa to, you know, just keep up with them and check in. And I know we're the generation that doesn't really text, doesn't like calls. We're a little bit like, hey, why are you calling me? I don't know that. Like, just text me. And if you can't text me, then why are you bothering me? But sometimes it's nice to, you know, just check in with people, get out of that little bit of a comfort zone. Get outside that bubble a little bit because other people might need the interaction. Like, you know, and... I think for some of them, they do. They try their best to, like, you know, do a FaceTime or Skype, which is good for them. But it's just a small little thing where I hope I come from a broadcast background, so I'm kind of used to being around a camera. So it's nothing to me. It's like I can get up and someone's like, you look like shit today. I'm like, all right, where's the camera? Like, let's look like shit together. <laughs> yeah, like like I said before, it's a community, right? And yeah. uh, they can share experiences because we all know what it's like. And, you know, it's even now with me not competing, you know, I've still been around the events and stuff, so I can still sort of share and, and support people. So I want to ask you, cause of course, yes, you have kids. Like, do you ever think when you were doing curling, like, I don't know the age group now, but like when they were watching you curl, do they look at you as just their mom? Or like when years later, do you think they'll look at me like, damn, like my mom was good. <laughs> uh, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think it's evolved a little bit because, uh, my daughter was only two when we went to the Olympics. So it just, that didn't, you know. It didn't register. She's just like, just change my diaper. I'm not worried. <laughs> no. And then she would have been like six and a half ish when we won the worlds in 2018 in North Bay, which she really, she really enjoyed. And when we won, she was like, you know, crying happy tears. Like it was starting to, she was just kind of starting to get into it a little bit yeah. more. And then I think as the time has gone on, she, you know, the, the, you know, we watched a lot of Olympics that was on recently in Tokyo and I, and I think it's started to register a bit, but then, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm just her mom. Like I'm yeah, yeah. her mom and I still, you know, give her shit for things. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like at times you should like, just as a, like, as a joke to her, it's like, listen, if you're like clean your room, it's like, why do I have to clean my room? Listen. I didn't get these gold medals by not cleaning my room. And then she'd just be like, I don't want to be a curler. You're like, I don't care what you want to do. You have to be a gold in the room to clean your bedroom. And then that's where you develop. And you're still like, I, I, I laugh at it. Cause sometimes when you listen to parents convince their kids to eat broccoli or something, and then the, the things that they convince them with, like, I think on Instagram, there was one where it was like, uh, my kid wants to help me clean dishes. I allow him to clean dishes. All right. Years later, be like, why did you let me clean dishes? Like, well, you uh, you wanted to. I didn't tell you to. But anyways, uh, we're getting close to the end here. And I made a joke at this in the beginning. But if you weren't, you know, successful in curling, was there a backup plan? You mentioned how, you know, you had an interest in broadcasting and you were involved in other sports. But was there a sport that you were just as good at? as curling like maybe not to that peak but you're like hey i could go somewhere with this or like hey I, potentially maybe not to the same success but you'd you'd at least give it a crack or give it a try 
Yeah, you know what? I to be honest, I was a pretty decent soccer player. Uh, I don't think I would have may have been on the gold medal team from last year. <laughs> thing, but uh, you know, I played in the Premier League here in Manitoba, and I loved playing soccer. I I didn't have the greatest endurance all the time. Like I was a striker, so that you know was good. Yeah. But uh, you know, I might have maybe you know continued to play soccer for a little longer than I did. I ended up not playing it because I you know sprained both my ankles and whatever else, and it was. I didn't want it to impact curling, which I could see me going places with. So, uh, but, you know, in terms of any sort of other career, I probably would have gone further into broadcasting because that at the time when I was younger, that's kind of what I wanted to do was work in broadcasting and, and maybe sports broadcasting. So I might've, I might've gone a little more down that because I knew, I knew early on that the news side of broadcasting was not my thing. I, you know, I feel you. Court trials and it just wasn't i was like nope nope this yeah. i'm too sensitive for this so <laughs> I, I feel yeah i was going i went to communications and i came out of that thing i want to be in pr or broadcasting but my parents are like you want to be like a peter mansbridge or a paul hunter i'm like good for them but it's it's just not for me right uh jill someone had asked this on twitter and i think it's a really good question so i'm just going to ask it because i'm going to take credit for this person's question but anyway here it is have there been moments in your career where you're kind of like, uh, like you've had lows and how did you bounce back from those lows? Yeah. Um, you know, going back to losing the trials for Vancouver, right. Um, you know, that was a low, you know, there was a couple of Scotties in there where we lost finals or, you know, worlds where it was like, we were trying to get into the medals and didn't, and then didn't even win the bronze medal. Yeah. So, so yeah, there, you know, there certainly was lows and I think getting over it for me was always about actually processing it, like dealing with it and taking the time to, to deal with it, not just kind of sloughing it off and, you know, moving on type thing. It was like, okay, what, what happened and you know, what is it, you know, what do I need to sort of process here so that I can park it and put it behind me and, and then move on and take those lessons forward. So that was part of the learning process though, too. That's a good answer. Uh, let's take one more. This one's from Facebook. Uh, this person asked, what are some of your interests or hobbies or things that you like after curling? It feels like this is like a documentary. It's like after curling. No. <laughs> well, you know, spending time with my family. We have a seasonal campsite, so we spend a lot of time outdoors there. Um, fishing in the summertime. Uh, being with friends when I can, which has been a little sporadic over the last year and a half. And yeah, doing some reading. I love reading memoirs or autobiographies of athletes. And that's kind of about it, I guess. <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. I want to ask you, like, when reading autobiographies of athletes, like, which ones kind of stand out to you or, like, ones that you kind of remember? Oh, uh, boy, good question. I actually haven't read one in a while, but, you know, I've read Marnie McBean's uh, Katrina Maidone, Colleen Jones, uh, Clara Hughes. You know, I read Andre Agassi's and as much okay. as everybody think it like says his book is so amazing, I it actually didn't click with me, but that's yeah. fine. Yeah. The, and I mean, you know, then I read like Elton John's, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, that, that was a good one. The guy's lucky to be alive with all the drugs he did. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I just like hearing people's and sometimes like with the athlete stories, it's like, like with Andre Agassi's, for example, I felt like he spoke too much about exactly what happened on the court and like yeah. certain match points and things like that. Whereas I want to hear more about like 
the life side of it and how it impacted maybe your performance. But yeah. Well, I mean, a good one, like if you ever pick it up, it's like, I know we had to read it in school, but it was like Theo or Theo Fleury's one. Cause it, I was actually kind of entertained with that one. Cause I've never really followed Theo Fleury's career. It's like, I get it. I get like the whole impact of it. I think the last time he tried out for the Calgary flames, they added that into it as well. And that's kind of where I remember it from, but mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting. Cause I think there's one point in it where he talks about like, you know, cocaine addiction or doing drugs and how like in even in new york they would hire a private investigator to follow him around i'm like man this is like fbi shit like you're getting into but like some of these books are really good like i list, i read a lot of sports broadcasting books and then they tell you stories of how they got into their career and i'm like that's that's great but you would have never imagined it right yeah yeah that's uh, theo flurries was a good one actually yeah yeah do you have any like plans to come out with, uh, I guess, like your own autobiography or your own book? <laughs> Somebody asked me that a while ago and I never really thought of it. I, I feel like I needed to keep better track of certain things if I was going to do that, but <laughs> I guess that, you never know. See, that, that's what you should do, right? Like you, you'd be like, listen, I was on this podcast with a Newfoundlander. He brought it up to me and like, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back and listen to this interview and then I'll just mark certain things down. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Jill Officer for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thanks for listening and good night. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.